our second week of our season that is moving us towards Easter. And as we begin today to uh, open up and just look at what God might speak to us, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a chunk of Scripture, but I want you to hear the scene. So if you are able, would you stand for the reading of the Gospel? John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for uh, no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus said. Surely they can't enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, as the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, for fear of the deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. God's word given for God's people, and we respond together, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Some of you might remember it was the late 70s and the, and the 1980s. I know that leaves some of you out, but this is a good history lesson for you today. You might remember one of the great TV shows, ABC's Wide World of Sports. And every time it would come on, they would have this video that would play, and every time it would come on, there would be this saying, the thrill of victory and the agony of... See, we got a lot of old people in this room. And during the agony of defeat part, they would always show this video of this ski jumper, this painful, some of you are going, yeah, I remember that, this painful moment of this ski jumper who, who takes off on the, on the, you know, what do you call that thing? The jump, thank you, and uh, takes off on the jump, and, and by the time he almost gets to the place of the jump, he just goes into what we call a yard sale. I mean, he just falls. He is everywhere. He is rolling down the thing, and then he falls off the end of the jump. They play that every time. You remember that? A lot of old people in this room, kids. <laughs> what viewers don't know is that he actually chose to fall rather than to jump. 
It sounds strange, but he went on to explain it later that the, the surface of the jump had become too fast. And midway down the ramp, he realized that the speed that he was going, if he made the jump, he was not going to land in the nice sloped hill. He was going to land in the flat, which could end up being fatal. It's amazing in that video when you are reminded of it, he only suffered a headache afterwards. To change one's course in life can be traumatic and sometimes a painful undertaking, but change is better than a fatal landing at the end. It's one of the problems that Nicodemus is having. Jesus tells Nicodemus he's facing a fatal landing if he doesn't change directions. And Jesus appears on the scene and he starts talking about things like heaven and, and being born again. And Nicodemus hears those and, he's, and he doesn't understand it. He says, what do you mean? How, how would I go back into my mother's womb? How could I start all over again? It's surprising to us and it's surprising to Jesus in the text that Nicodemus is so confused. For he's a religious leader and teacher. He should understand spiritual lessons. And, and yet somehow he is missing this crucial truth. You see, at the heart of Nicodemus' problem was an identity crisis. His identity was wrapped up in who he is and what he does. And there's something he's just not getting. There's a reason he goes to Jesus. He's got this idea, this inkling that Jesus will be able to provide some kind of missing detail, some direction of something that he's missing. And yet when Jesus talks to him, Nicodemus seems hesitant about it. Why is he uncertain? Why, why will he not make the change that Jesus calls him to make? Uh, that's a question not just for Nicodemus, right? Why are we hesitant to change the things that God calls us to change? Well, I think Nicodemus might have had a few reasons. I think the first is that Nicodemus was a religious man. He, he clearly knew the Ten Commandments. He knew the law. He had it memorized. In, in another place in John's Gospel, he is referred to not as a teacher, but the teacher, talking about his preeminence. For if anyone would know the truth of God and God's people, it should be this guy. And yet for all his religiosity, Nicodemus was not a fulfilled man. There was emptiness within him that his religion had not filled. Master, I know all of the commandments, but there's something missing. Is it possible to be a religious person and still miss the thrust of God's word? I'm kind of stuck in the past for the old people today. There was another TV show in the late 70s. It was a series, you might remember it, called Roots. Kind of took TV by storm but there was a character, a memorable one. Ed Asner played the role of an old captain on the slave ship. He was a religious man. Each night he would go into the, to the captain's uh, uh, room, the, his, his, his uh, quarters, and close the door, and he would read his Bible. And the first night back, with a ship full of slaves, the crew sends him a young slave girl to his cabin. He turns her away, he yells at them, but when they come back the second night, he doesn't yell. On another night, he, he hears that there is something going on, the cries of suffering that are out on the deck, and he gets up from where he's been reading the Bible, he gets up from reading the Bible, hears these cries of suffering, you think, well, maybe he's going to do something about it, but instead he shuts the door of the cabin, so now that it's quiet, so the suffering doesn't get in the way of him reading the Bible. Is it possible to be a religious person and to not get it? To be unfulfilled? That's the heartbeat 
of Nicodemus' confession. He is a person who believes in God, but he is a person without a cause, a person without a heart. Master, I have kept all the rules and the forms, and the fa- I've been faithful. I have checked off everything that I'm required to do. What else do I need to do to fill this void? See, his identity was in the boxes he had checked, the things he had done, rather than his identity being in God. Second, Nicodemus is a powerful person. We, we are told that he's a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the powerful Sanhedrin. I've been watching the last few weeks um, on Sunday nights on CNN a documentary on English royalty, which is just kind of interesting. Now, I don't follow it all, but I'm telling you, they have some really nice clothes they wear. They got some nice outfits, and they got crowns, and they got medals, and they got all kinds of stuff. And I don't really remember all of the names as I'm watching this. I think we're up to World War II somewhere in there. But I know when I see royalty, because they got the medals, and they got the crowns, and they got the power. And, and they walk around with that kind of power. I want you to think of that. Nicodemus was royalty in the religious community. And with that came power. And power can seduce you into thinking that everything is okay and that you're doing everything correctly. Even for the church, power is a great temptation. We tend to think of the big churches or mega churches as the most successful churches. The taller the steeple, the more power. If this church has this, well, we better go get this as well. As in somehow that we're willing to try to make the world love us. That's the seduction of power. Yet for all of his power, Nicodemus did not have peace of mind. Power had not given him contentment. It confused him. Power promises meaning, but it doesn't deliver. Master, I'm a powerful person, but something is missing. Nicodemus was having an identity problem. Third, I think we can say of Nicodemus that he was a man of pedigree. He came from the right family. You didn't become a powerful Jewish lawyer unless you came from the right family. That wasn't something you could just work your way up in the ranks to attain. You know, we we often say in our country, you you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Not in this kind of deal. That wasn't, you couldn't do that. You had to be born in this. And scholars tell us that Nicodemus was a wealthy man. There's a reason that Nicodemus comes by Jesus to see him at night. He skulks in the darkness because he does not want to be seen publicly with this Nazarene. Nicodemus is drawn to him. He's curious about him. And yet for all his interest in Jesus, he still has this pedigree to protect. He's got to maintain his dignity. He's got an image because it's easy to become preoccupied preserving our privilege. Nicodemus has an identity problem. Fourth, Nicodemus is an educated man. And I'm proud of my education. It's been helpful in my life. The Apostle Paul was proud of his education. He writes that he was a student of of one of the great teachers of the day. Nicodemus was an educated man, but his education did not bring ultimate fulfillment in his life. Master, something's wrong. I've been to the best church-sponsored schools that there are, and yet my heart is heavy. I need direction. I'm confused. Where do I turn See, an education will fix things on the outside that some people look for, but what is really needed is what John Wesley calls a religion of the warmed heart to be transformed from within. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. See, friends, it's easy to get caught up in the form of religion and lose touch with the reality of God. 
We can get so caught up in doing church that we forget to be the church. Our intellectual comprehension of the Bible can take precedence over us living the Bible. Some might say, Pastor Chad, what I'd, what I'd really like for your sermons to do is, is teach me something I don't know about the Bible. Can I tell you that my primary interest is not to teach you something you don't know? I mean, I'm happy if you pick something up. I'm happy you can borrow a commentary and dig a little deeper if you'd like. I think it's wonderful you can learn something you don't know, but do you understand that my primary interest is not in helping you have more knowledge of the Bible? I'm interested in helping you be shaped by the Bible. We can have all kinds of stuff. We can have all kinds of knowledge, but if it doesn't change who we are, then it's just stuff. My primary interest is to figure out how do we take the Word of God? How do we talk about it in our life? How does it shape? How does it, how does it affect who we are day in and day out? For we can learn a lot of stuff and fail to be formed in our actions. Did Nicodemus ever come to faith? Tradition says that he did, but scholars don't know for sure. It's certainly possible that he remained on the fringe as millions have done. But I like to think of this. I like to think that when someone comes face to face and looks in the eyes of Jesus, that they're never the same. I told you I've been watching this documentary, and one of the great photographs from World War II was a photo of King George VI as he's inspecting uh, the London uh, section that's been bombed out. And, and it's this photograph of him stopping during this inspection to talk to a little boy. And the little boy is disheveled. His coat has is, is got uh, rips in it. His cap is not on straight. And, and, and the king kneels down, and it's just a side picture of the king. But you can see his face, and his face is one of compassion and love and care. I wish I knew more about that, what happened to that boy. Because I just got to believe his life's never the same. He could live 100 years, and he would never forget the day the king got on his knees and held his hand and showed compassion and love to him. I would suggest that when you truly look into the eyes of Jesus, it is difficult to not be changed. If you don't believe that, I think the Bible's full of a lot of examples. Ask Mary Magdalene. If you asked her, she'd say, yes, it's true. I looked into his face, and I became a pure woman. Ask Matthew. I looked into his face. I became an honest man. Ask Paul. When I met Jesus, my zeal for the law became a zeal for love. Ask Peter. Oh, I changed. I had to wrestle with my prejudice towards the Gentiles. And I think we could go on and on and on with examples. When you look in the face of Jesus, you realize that we are all broken men and women who are in need of healing and to be changed and to be repaired and to be forgiven. See, I think the true question when we look at this passage is not what was Nicodemus searching for. I think think the better question for us today is what are you searching for? Nicodemus somehow thought that his identity, what he did or who he was, 
that, that the boxes he checked, that's the identity of his life. He, he'd say, Rabbi, I am a ruler, I'm an educated man, I'm a religious man, but Rabbi, I've got a void in my heart, I'm a broken man, I need something in my life, something to transform evil into good, darkness into light, haste into love, ugliness into beauty, stinginess into generosity, sin into salvation. Rabbi, I've done everything else, what do I need to do? Oh, Nicodemus whether educated or uneducated, Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, powerful or weak, religious or sinner, you must be born again. And for the follower of Jesus, what that means is, is that we are crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live. Not our agenda, not our to-do list, not our goals, not our mission but Christ who lives within me. His mission, his goals, his direction. I've let that stuff go. Nicodemus was all about the things he had checked off the box. Jesus said, you must be born again. And that means to be crucified with Christ and set our agenda aside. And recognize the Christ who lives within us. As we head towards Easter in this journey, we ask the question, is our identity, yours and mine, is it knowing God or just knowing about God? Is our identity in a label that says Christian or are we indeed shaped in actions and attitudes and decisions by the Christ that is in us, that the old part of us has been set aside, buried with Christ, redeemed, and new life begins, not with our agenda, but with his. You know, when we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim our identity in Christ. That what saves us is not what we do, It's not the boxes that we check off. It is what God has done and God is doing in us. There's a great new song we want to teach you this morning. And I want you to hear the words as I read them. It says, My worth is not in what I own. It's not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. You're invited to the table today, not not because you've earned it, or, or not because you've behaved well, or not because of the pedigree of the family that you've come from, and not in any way that you deserve it. You are invited to the table today If your heart's desire is to say, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. The identity of my life is not my own. Instead, the identity of my life is Christ who lives in me. Father, we we give thanks today for your word that speaks to us. We we're reminded of, of the moments in our life that we've probably, many of us, been like Nicodemus. 
And then in somehow we have tried to, to earn our way into your favor. Or in some ways we've looked at our lives and said, I am so far outside of anything God could love, I'm just going to hang out and stay away. But what we all have in common is we probably have come before him to say, Lord, what else do I need to do? And we're reminded today as we come to the table that it's not about what we do. Father, it's about what you have done. And as we journey towards Easter, we are reminded of this gift for God. You so loved the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in his name would not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say check all the boxes. It says believe. And as we sang earlier, you take us just as we are. And then you hone and shape us and grow us into who you always intended us to be. So, Father, may our identity not be in the things we do. But may our identity be in who you are. We take the bread today, we take the cup, and we are reminded it is not ours. It's not our strength, and it's not our identity. But you, by your grace, have shown your love for us. We come to the table to proclaim, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live but Christ who lives in me. As you come to the table this morning, a couple words of instruction. There are two plastic cups that are stacked on top of each other. Take both. The juice is in the top, the bread is in the second cup. And would you hold it until everybody's been served and we'll take together? Come to the table, hear the words, sing those words, and be invited. Not because of the boxes you've checked, but because of the grace of God. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone. But in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. But in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross I rejoice in my Redeemer greatest treasure wellspring of my soul I will trust in him no other my soul is satisfied in him alone As summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, and beauty hurry 
eternal calls to us at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. I will not boast in wealth or might, or human's wisdom's bleeding light. But I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. To wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him
The bread reminds us that Christ willingly laid down his life for you. I think the Lord knew you by name and made a choice out of his deep love. Thanks be to God for a sacrifice made. Take the bread and give thanks. The cup, the cup that represents the shed blood, the sacrifice, redemption. Those who follow Christ, your life is not your own. It's been bought and paid for. He has redeemed it. Let us be a people who don't live like our life is ours. But let us be a people who live to try to be worthy of the sacrifice that is made, the joy that is given, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace. With thankfulness, we take the cup. Father, we give thanks for your presence here today, for your reminder in each one of our lives that you are enough if we will come to you. That you are enough for whatever it is we are in the midst of. Not because we deserve it, but because you have the love of a father who longs and waits for his children to come alongside. Thanks for the gift of your spirit today. Thanks for the gift as we head towards Easter, the reminder that this gift is, is one to be cherished and to be thankful for. And that you love us in spite of the boxes we check or don't check or whatever our background has been. We want to say today, we want to be a people crucified in Christ. That it's not our agenda that drives our life, but it's yours. So help us this week, God, to live out in front of others the difference that that kind of hope can make in our lives. Because we go into a world that is full of fear. And we go into a world that has a lot of dark places. Would you help us know you go with us? And when you are with us, there is no place we can't go. Help us to find joy. Help us to find hope. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you go. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him no other.
My soul is satisfied in Him alone. 